This is Carl Hughes with Town Square Media, your host for Issues and Answers. Issues and Answers is a public affairs program for Western Colorado. Residents and members of our community tell us what concerns they have, and from that feedback, we identify significant issues to include in our weekly program. Today, our guest is Todd Rowell, the sheriff of Mesa County. We will be discussing the threat of fentanyl in Mesa County, the Western Colorado Drug Task Force, and the challenges of combating this new, powerful, illegal drug, and current legislation pending in the Colorado State House to address fentanyl use. So, Sheriff Rowell, welcome to Issues and Answers. Thanks for having me. Now, I've read at one time that methamphetamine was the most dangerous drug on the street, but if anybody's been watching the headlines and everything that's going on now, that's not the case now, is it? Yes, that's correct. So for the last 20 years, methamphetamine has kind of been the main illegal drug in Mesa County. Um, We've also had heroin and cocaine. But over the last two years, um, a synthetic drug, fentanyl, has overtaken all of them and poses a significant risk to our community. Now, as I tried to do research on this, fentanyl, you mentioned, is synthetic, but it's also way more powerful than other opiates such as morphine. And I read that a dose of as small as two milligrams can kill a person. Is that correct? Yes, that, that's absolutely correct. And to, to give the audience a, a picture of what that looks like, so a packet of sugar weighs one gram. Um, within that, there are 500 doses, 500 lethal doses of fentanyl. So just that small amount could kill up to 500 people. That's just amazing. And the fact that it's synthetic and it's not being produced legally, I would guess, means that whether the fentanyl is mixed in with heroin or other drugs or is just a, a false fentanyl tablet, I would think that the, the amount of fentanyl in these illegally produced tablets varies widely, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, and where, where this comes from is it, it, it gets shipped from China um, to Mexico, and then it gets mixed. The biggest thing we've seen here in Mesa County, it gets mixed into small blue pills with an M stamped on it. That used to be um, a Oxycontin pill. That company hasn't made those in five years. If you see one of those, it is fake. Um, it is not, it's not a prescription drug from the United States. It is a pressed pill with fentanyl in it. And a lot of the, a lot of the problem we see is this isn't a pharmacist that is producing this or mixing this. Um, This is people involved in the cartel, involved um, in distribution of drugs, mixing it to the best of their ability, maybe with no care for the end user. Well, and you say, when you see that now that's fake, as we just spoke about, that also could very well be fatal. Another thing that I found interesting in researching this was that initially fentanyl was used to increase the potency of other illegal drugs, such as heroin. Now people are seeking out fentanyl, I read, just because it's, it's more readily available and they, they don't have to pay the higher price for it mixed in. So it's readily available and it's incredibly dangerous. Is that what you guys are seeing as well, that it's becoming kind of the drug of choice just as a solo drug? Yeah, so we still see the unknown user that gets gets something that they do not know is fentanyl, but overwhelming majority of what we see 
is people seeking out fentanyl, knowing what's in it and um, playing Russian roulette and believing that they will survive from it. And depending, is, is it one gram, one milligram in the pill? Is it four milligrams in the pill? Um, what is their tolerance of it? And it, it, it has definitely been fatal to many, many people. And that number, as we watch the headlines, is increasing both locally and across the country. I think one of the things a lot of us think about when you think of a drug user, you know, somebody who's shooting up heroin in a heroin den and, you know, a low-income person, from what I've seen about fentanyl, it doesn't really have any economic boundaries. It could be anybody. Yes. What we've seen is fentanyl crosses all all social classes. Um, I, I, I believe that Many, if not all, people in our community will will be affected by this by a friend, relative. You you talked a little bit about how quickly the deaths are increasing in our community, and since 2019, each year that number is doubling, and that that's scary, and that that's part of the reason I, I'm out here trying to get ahead of this. Public awareness is a huge part. I'm understanding. If you're at a get-together and somebody hands you a pill, what they're handing you, and it is it very well could be poison. An incredibly important message and conversation for parents to have, because I've got to believe that the availability of this isn't just with adults who are out there enjoying recreational drugs. The risk of it in our schools has got to be pretty enormous, too. Yes, and we do have great contact with our schools, and here we've been able to communicate very well with our school-age children. Um, there, there is a gap there with somebody in their late teens and into their 20s that we have a hard time reaching those people. So right now what we've seen is people impacted overdosing has, has been more 20 years old plus. You know, you, you talked a little bit about the availability of this in our community. We're not finding a little bit. Last year, 2021, we found over 30,000 pills. Um, our Western Colorado Drug Task Force took over 30,000 pills off our streets. Um, unfortunately, this year we're going to outpace that. We are, we're, we're on a um, pace to, to grossly seize much more than that. Well, and that's 30,000 pills that you were able to seize and take out of circulation. No one knows how many remained hidden and in use and all of that. Absolutely. We're not getting all of it. Right. Now, I know that the approach of the task force is both, you know, trying to help people and catch people that are addicted and, you know, are carrying the illegal drugs. But you're also got a pretty strong focus on the supply chain, on the dealers of this, um, and that you want to track it down more to the source and really put your efforts into that. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And the way we're structured here is um, we have the Western Colorado Drug Task Force. It's a partnership between the Drug Enforcement Administration, the Grand Junction Police Department, and the Mesa County Sheriff's Office. Having the DEA involved allows us to be able to cross state lines to to find suppliers that um, are maybe down in border towns, or maybe in Arizona, maybe coming out of California. So absolutely, we're always always looking for suppliers and distributors. But the reality is, as long as people are addicted to this drug, there is going to be a way for them to get it here. Whether that's through the mail from China to here, and and this does happen quite often that it'll come in the mail, talking about very small pills, you can put 500 pills in a very small box. So as long as there is a demand, there will be suppliers in place to get that here, but we will continue to work as hard as we can to make it difficult and 
unprofitable to do business in Mesa County. Opioids as a class I know are a highly addictive drug class. And so obviously this being part of that doesn't speak well to, you know, the chance for not becoming addicted or needing more and more. I I had read also that your patrol deputies now carry Narcan. Is that correct? Absolutely. For a couple of years now, um, I believe all law enforcement in this valley carry Narcan. In fact, um, 2021, Narcan was deployed 118 times in our community, which, which is a significant amount. And again, we're on pace this year to deploy it more times than that. And I, if you don't mind, Carl, I wouldn't mind talking about Narcan a little bit. Yeah, and, please. You know, what it is, is it's a temporary blocker. When you, take an op- when you overdose on an opioid, um, it temporarily blocks the receptors for that. So sometimes if someone has a lot of fentanyl or any other opioid in them, sometimes it'll take more than one dose. And it's not permanent. It's a short term where we need to get them to medical attention. So it is it's very helpful and people need to be, especially people who are addicted to opioids and still choose to use them. It's something that they need to have. When you look at the harm reduction side of things, um, we'd much rather have somebody live and hopefully re- receive treatment. I th- think the important point there is, is it's a temporary fix for a, a very dangerous situation. So the Narcan itself isn't going to remove the effects. It's just going to buy time until medical help can be sought. Correct. You, you st- and, and people in the general public have access to it. People deploy it. Civilians do. If you do that, get that person medical attention. Get an ambulance there because um, just because that person woke back up does not mean they're, they're out of that window. Now, I would assume, you know, we're talking about use and addiction. There is also an alarming increase in the number of deaths, fentanyl-related deaths. And I would assume that when you investigate an overdose death because somebody supplied that illegal drug, you treat that overdose death as a homicide. Is that correct? Yes, we we spend or we treat all unintended deaths where someone dies outside of medical care. We treat them all as homicides to start off with. But on overdose deaths, to include in that, we have the DEA come out, we have our drug task force come out. We take it very seriously because there is another chain in those events. The person that supplied that that caused the overdose can be held accountable. Now, I'd also read that you guys have a a device called TrueNARC that uses light to scan the drugs and can show some positive results so you can find out if it is opioid or, or fentanyl specifically. What's TrueNARC? So it, it's a machine we have. Um, Colorado Bureau of Investigation first had them, and we were able to buy them through a grant. It changes the way that we field test narcotics. We used to have to open it up and take a little bit of it and put it into a, a testing packet. And TrueNARC has the ability to test it through a bag. So we don't, we don't even have to pull it out, and it gives us that presumptive test. So, so law enforcement is not exposed to this dangerous drug. Then do you send the samples on to the Colorado Bureau of Investigations lab for confirmation? Absolutely. Yes, they're the, they're the ones that actually do the, the controlled tests and tell, tell us how much does it weigh and what's all in it. Is there methamphetamine in it and fentanyl? Um, what's the makeup of it? It occurs to me if you're a parent or a you know, significant other of somebody who might be unfortunately addicted or taking fentanyl, and you find a supply of these illegal fentanyl tablets, because of the 
just incredible risk from even contact with the pills, depending on the potency of the pill. Can people just bring these pills to you to be destroyed? Yes, they can. But I, I would ask this. Don't, don't move it. Don't expose yourself to us. If you find one of these on the ground, if you find a bag of them someplace, call us. Call law enforcement. We'll come out there. We'll deal with it. You know, self-reporting keeps people from getting charged with crimes. That's really, really good advice. For those that might be just joining us, you are listening to Issues and Answers with Town Square Media. I'm your host, Carl Hughes. Today, we're visiting with Sheriff Todd Rowell, Sheriff of Mesa County, and we're discussing the incredible threat from fentanyl in Mesa County, the Western Colorado Drug Task Force, and how they're helping to address that. And we'll be moving now into some discussions about legislation, specifically about fentanyl and fentanyl use. The uh, thing that I found most shocking, and as you can kind of tell, I've read as much as I could to get ready for this interview. One of the things that I found the most shocking was a change put through by the Colorado legislature in 2019 that while not fully decriminalizing the possession of opioids, changed possession of four grams or less to a misdemeanor. And when we talked about two milligrams can be fatal in a fentanyl dose, that's potentially 2,000 deaths that could be caused by what's a misdemeanor possession. It sounds like that process or that bill is getting revised. Is that correct? So there, there is a bill, um, House Bill 22-1326. It, it has to do with reducing the weight amounts on fentanyl on, to get certain drug classes. Um, it also added in distribution resulting in death. This bill is a very good bill. I appreciate the sponsors for introducing it. Um, it it's still going through the legislative process. I testified over um, in a judicial committee hearing to try to amend a portion of it. And specifically, the part that I'm asking to amend is the four grams of fentanyl. And like you said, that's 2,000 lethal doses of, of this dangerous poison. And I believe that any amount should be a felony. You look at, you look at one pill can kill so why would we legalize something that, not legalize, but call it a misdemeanor, which somewhat legitimizes the use of this drug, and there is no safe use of this drug. I'm asking that it, during the judicial um, committee hearing, they did recommend that that be reduced to one gram. Um, anything of one gram or more would be a felony. I still don't think that goes quite far enough. I'm, I'm not trying to make felons out of addicts. I'm, I'm not. We have a lot more resources in our jail. And as you leave our jail than we used to, a felony charge has the, has the weight to get addicts the treatment they need. Even reducing it to one gram, that's the potential of 500 deaths. And it just seems odd to me, and not to get into an editorial situation here, just exactly to your point where you have a pill, an illegally produced synthetic opioid that absolutely contains in it the potential of killing a person with one pill, and you can have 15 of those in your pocket and everything's fine. Hopefully, this momentum for change continues. Yes, absolutely. And you look back in 2019 when they were 
we're reducing methamphetamine and heroin to misdemeanors. And I won't get into if I agree with that or not. I, I believe it's caused some damage. But they also left some drugs as felonies, specifically rohypnol, also known as roofies, ketamine. I believe if we knew then what we know now about fentanyl, we would have never reduced it to a misdemeanor. Absolutely. Roofies, as it's known on the street, you know, a party drug, it doesn't, I think, have the intense risk of fatalities that fentanyl does. And so to make fentanyl more uh, acceptable criminally, you know, at different levels than other drugs, I'm with you. I think that just kind of missed the mark. Other things in the bill, if we could talk about a little bit, I know even reducing it down to one gram, are there going to be increased penalties as far as you know for dealers? Are we going to make it harsher and harder for the people that are dealing? Yes, absolutely. The the bill introduces um, more weight for law enforcement, more strength for law enforcement. And those thresholds, and I'm not going to give you the exact ones, but the thresholds came down so you don't have to have quite so much to be charged with a a class one, class two, class three, or class four felony. Well, and part of the bill, too, from what I was reading, is that it's going to put in mandatory treatment for users with education, treatment programs, rehab programs. So is all of that going to make it through, do you think? Yes. Like I said, I'm testifying and pushing to amend this bill, but this bill does need to pass. There are a lot of good things in it. And even if I don't get what I want, what I think is better for the community, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, there, there's a lot of good things in this bill, and um, hopefully we get the amendment to where any amount of fentanyl is a felony, but there's too many good things in here for it to not pass. Absolutely. Well, and if nothing else, we start the momentum to making this thing more common sense than it is. It was Mark Twain who said the most amazing thing about common sense is it ain't all that common. Part of this being the mandatory treatment for users, it seems to me that obviously attacking and increasing the penalties for the suppliers is important, but taking away their market by treatment and, you know, getting people that are addicted to hopefully be able to get off of the fentanyl or whatever it is they're addicted to. Absolutely. Like I said earlier, if we can get rid of that demand, and it's a huge task that law enforcement's not going to solve it on their own. Treatment's not going to solve it on its own. It's, it's going to take um, our business community, our churches, and a lot of treatment. And treatment doesn't work the, f- the first time, a lot of the time. But we, as long as there are people out there looking for this drug, I don't see a tool that's going to get synthetics um, out of our community. No, especially when they're as profitable as it seems like they are, there's no reason for those producing it to back down any when somebody's in jail, whether it's in the Department of Corrections or in a local jail, such as Mesa County Detention Center, it looks like this bill may also have some money to help start doing those treatment programs as early as the incarceration, rather than making it as part of their parole where they finally start getting that help after the fact. Is that true? Yes. And at the Mesa County Jail, we've had those programs for a couple years now. We have Jail-Based Behavioral Services, um, which is a grant that focuses on addiction and on mental health. We have medi- medical, or sorry, medication-assisted treatment. If you look at the continuity of care, you don't want somebody to just come in and have no medication to withdraw off it. And there's, there's a big risk 
when somebody's lead, leaving jail. Um, one of the biggest windows where somebody's most likely to overdose is the two weeks post-incarceration. So there, there has to be something not only on the inside, but on the outside. Um, we also have the o- Office of Behavioral Health is in our jail helping out with some of these issues. I have two t- jail transition coordinators linking people up with services on the outside of our jail to make sure they don't have a, a cliff they, they fall off of where they get stabilized <clears throat> within our jail and then they walk out and they have no, no resources. One of, one of the big concerns I've had and something that I've focused on is someone shouldn't walk out of our jail and go back into the same environment that, that led them to become, come to our jail. So I want someone with some type of service to get them to where they need to be. If you, if you take someone that's a serious addict or has a serious mental health condition and you tell them you can check into treatment in two weeks, they will never make it there. So there has to be some resources to fill that. As the debate about recidivism and the causes of recidivism go on, I think largely people who are not aware of everything that happens to an incarcerated person and the reason that they were incarcerated, they put all of the onus on that person for fixing themselves and getting out. And if you don't remove those environmental triggers and everything else that, you know, led them to whatever the crime was or the drug possession was or whatever, you're absolutely right. It's going to be that revolving door. And one of the things that I guess I'd like to say thank you for and give you credit, you know, through the Mesa County Detention Facility in your jail, I think a lot of people think of incarcerated people only as in the Department of Corrections. And there are people that are serving sentences that are with you and spend their time and then are discharged from the Mesa County Jail. Absolutely. And so for you guys to have those resources that you would only picture at a state level, I think that's a, a great Kudos to you and your organization for that. Thank you. And it's something we recognized a couple years ago that it's the same people that come in time and time again. During um, 2020 COVID year, when it was very difficult to get into jail due to some of our arrest standards during that time, there was a person that came in 19 times in one year. And that's that's a bad year. That's, that's that person not being successful and the criminal justice system, treatment facilities, not looking at some upstream investments to help that person. And obviously speaks to the point that the criminal justice system can't be punitive alone. You have to realize that these are human beings with human flaws and issues that if we don't help with that or at least offer the help, you know, recidivism is almost guaranteed. Yes, Carl, I always tell people, picture yourself if you get arrested and spend two months in jail. What do you have when you come out? Do you still have your job? Do you still have your family? Do you have housing? I'm I'm not looking at freebies. I'm looking at let's get people so that there's a chance so they can become productive members of society again. That's uh, uh, admirable and hopefully successful. One of the things that occurs to me just to kind of put a bow on the dealer portion of fentanyl and the people that are out there selling these illegal pills. Four grams, which is, again, in Colorado after 2019, just a misdemeanor, not a felony. That could be held in 35, 40 pills. And as I understand it, that's just a nice little threshold where a dealer knows what that four gram limit is, and they can walk around with an amount that's less than that. So it's always going to be a misdemeanor, never a felony under the current law. Yes, this is the business for drug dealers. They, 
They understand the business. They understand what our laws are in Colorado. They don't care about the effects it has have on our community, but they do care about the effect it has on them. So if they know they can carry 39 pills around and not get charged with the distribution, that is what they'll do. It's just a scourge, and I'm grateful for all of the awareness that's increasing. I'm grateful for the task force, the drug task force, and everything else that's happening, and hopefully changes in the law. And again, the, the law number was House Bill 1326. 1326. If you feel so moved and you're listening to this podcast, please feel free to contact your state legislators and offer your support of increasing the criminalization of fentanyl and saving some lives. If it's all right, let's just talk briefly about the Macy County Sheriff's Office. I know you haven't been in it a huge amount of time after Matt Lewis moved on. I hear wonderful things that are going on, and I don't think people realize how much the Mesa County Sheriff's Office is involved in. First of all, Mesa County, 3,300 square miles, and other than the cities that have their own municipal police departments, that's all you guys. Yes. That's a lot. And everything that you do, you've got the detention facility, that's yours, and security at the courthouse. Let's see what else. Search and rescue. Uh, emergency management, wildland firefighting, because there really aren't all that many rural firefighting. Is that why that you guys are involved in the wildland firefighting? By statute, the sheriff is the fire marshal. We are responsible for wildland fires. We work with our districts. We're broken down into several different fire districts. Um, But once it exceeds the ability of the local fire district, the county takes over. Or And we don't work that way in this county. We don't take it over. We supplement them. We work together on them. If it, if it gets any bigger, we involve the state. You're almost in a coordination role then to kind of help oversee the yeah, We have fire trucks. We, um, during the summer, we, we staff a fire engine. Um, we, we do provide resources. We have several seasonal firefighters that go out and help. But, you know, one of the biggest things, um, and luckily last year we didn't have a major fire season, but the year before we sure did. Um, I, I think we all remember the ashes falling over all over Grand Junction. And one, one of the biggest tools in mitigating that is um, getting on it absolutely immediately. So we staff a fire engine. Um, that, that initial attack on a fire is so important. If you let it go anytime at all, it gets beyond our ability. And um, we end up with a several week, maybe sometimes several month fire. And potentially incredibly costly, both in the potential for loss of life, but loss of property and buildings and farmland and everything else. Yes, it, it affects the whole community from people who, ranchers that have their cows out grazing on public land or private land to people that don't have access to get to their houses, people that are evacuated. Um, it, it impacts this whole community. And once it becomes a state fire, it starts getting really, really expensive. So we, we focus a lot of our attention in getting it out as quickly as we possibly can. One of the things that was impressive about the Mesa County Sheriff's Office as well was the number of volunteers that you have. 350, I saw, was the number off your website. If somebody's interested in volunteer opportunities with you, how can they find out what to do and what opportunities are available? We have several different opportunities from our victims advocates, citizens on patrol, religious services within our jail. Um, we have some um, volunteers that help out with records. But if, if you want to learn more about it, please go to sheriff.mesacounty.us, um, and you can apply right there online, 
and we'd love to have more volunteers helping us keep this community safe. Well, on behalf of Mesa County, thank you for all you do. Thank you. This has been Issues and Answers from Town Square Media. If you would like to suggest a topic for our weekly program, simply open our station app and hit the app chat feature to send us a note about an issue you would like to hear discussed on Issues and Answers. You can also reach us by phone by dialing 970-242-7788. I'm Carl Hughes. Join us next week for another round of Issues and Answers with Town Square Media.